arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Okay, here's the million dollar question and it involves any comedy you've laughed at during the course of your life. Do writers and performers just make this stuff up? Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes there are things in life that really happen. Matthias Jones Mysteries is not a comedy but does have zany characters and the big three, murder, mayhem, and monkey business. In the strange death of Dr. Povich, the character of Bucky Driscoll emerges atop a mountain outside Hamilton, New Hampshire. Bucky has just been hired as security director for Hamilton College. This walking disaster of a character is hired for a specific reason which comes out later in the series. Jones and his professor friend Fred Dempsey drive to the top of the mountain to meet Dr. Sergi Povich for telescope viewing of the stars. They are halted by a locked cable gate across the observatory entrance. Although this book inevitably leads to the tragic death of Dr. Povich, it begins with the know-it-all security cop Bucky Driscoll arriving in his compact security car and performing the death maneuver with a sledgehammer on the cable because he has lost the key to the lock. Only thing is, the smashing of the cable with a hammer really did happen in a public place as I waited to transport what was attached to that cable. The description of Bucky Driscoll is taken from somebody I met while I was in sales. We will assume at this point in the series that Jones has had his position of coach for a couple years when Bucky arrives on the scene. Here is The Strange Death of Dr. Povich, Matthias Jones series by Robert P. Fitton. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 1 Dr. Povich should have died long ago. His heart problems left him confined to death watches for months last year, and now, although miraculously recovered, his condition remained questionable. Father Gallagher, after years of antipathy toward Povich, invited him to St. Bart's Rectory for a dinner of reconciliation. Matthias Jones worried whether Gallagher's temper might break through his priestly demeanor and rattle Povich's fragile heart. Jones slowed his jeep at the narrow road leading up to Mount Polaris. A chain gate was open and a single plowed lane produced lumpy snowbanks from last night's storm. The swollen birch branches hung heavy and the pines stooped toward the road. He had always wanted to look into deep space from the large telescope atop this mountain north of Hamilton, but he did not fancy himself driving up the Mount Polaris Road in the aftermath of the biggest storm to pelt southern New Hampshire in ten years. Fred Dempsey had told him the clear cold night would provide an excellent viewing opportunity. He shifted his jeep into four-wheel drive and turned to Duff. So, how did you end up at Prince William on a Tuesday night, Duff? 
Duff said nothing for a few moments and stared out the window. Well, I was supposed to meet a girl. Jones glanced in the rear mirror, back toward the street gate as he moved up the incline. Woman, they can make you or break you. He raised his brows, especially if you don't have a car. Yes, coach. Let's face it, Duffy. You were leading all scorers last year, but now something's affected your play. I've got a lot on my mind. Dr. Povich, he's my advisor. He says I need to focus. Headlights bright in the snowbanks. He swerved the jeep slightly, but easily negotiated the steep road. You and the doctor are close. I heard that. He's your mentor. He is, and my advisor. He knows my story. Yeah, but does he know about outside jump shots? The freckle-faced Duff smiled, but continued to look out the jeep window. I've never been up here after a big storm. You sure it's cleared at the top? Well, I guess they plowed the top. I called campus security to unlock the gate. Bucky, you know Bucky. Oh, campus insecurity. Duff balanced his chin on his palm and stared silently into the passing trees lining the outside guardrail. Duff was edgy ever since he got in the jeep at the Hannibal Mall in Prince William. Jones held the wheel with one hand and kept his right hand on the stick shift, as if removing his hand from the lever might cause some great tactical problem. Bucky has his own ideas about police work. We have to keep reminding him he's in charge of the campus security and not a real cop. Duff stretched his long legs. He gave me a parking ticket two weeks ago. Jones shifted again and moved the jeep around the turn and started up a new hill. Oh, you don't own a car? While I was driving Bernie Gazinski's Toyota, I parked it like everyone else does next to the gym. Yeah, so what's the problem? I'm still trying to figure that one out. Bucky steps out of his little brown campus security car, pad flipped over and pen in hand. Jones nodded and laughed. Oh, I can see the whole thing. He waddles over in his uniform and tells me I'm in violation of Section 26 of the campus parking code. He said if I didn't move the car, he was going to have it towed off campus. Yeah, well, Bucky had Dean Kent's car towed. Of course, he didn't know it was Dean Kent's car, said Jones, shifting again. Never mind that Nigel Kent is also the president of Hamilton College and has a license plate marked Dean. So what happened with the Toyota? Duff pointed to Jones's blue parking sticker on the driver's side of the windshield. Well, I showed him Bernie's sticker. It's good through the academic year. Well, so what was the problem? He bends down on his hands and knees and starts crawling around on the pavement. He told me I was straddling the handicap space. I guess I was by a couple of inches. So he moves his pen around that little pad of his and rips off the sheet. Twenty-five bucks! Jones rounded the corner that led to the final hill to the observatory. Oh, come on! Seriously! Jones winced as he thought of traveling to an auto body in Prince William with Nigel and finding Nigel's Mercedes stuck between two rusted Ford Pintos from the 1970s. Duff, let me speak with Dean Kent, see if I can clear this ticket thing up. I think Bucky went a little overboard, said Duff, pausing and looking at Jones. Coach, I'm sorry. For what? They moved along the snowbank, now covering the guardrail high above the valley. Things are bothering me. Jones shifted again. The narrow plowed road leveled in the headlights. You want to talk about it? Duff shook his head. Well, I will. Okay. Jones tried to change the subject as he moved through the plowed snow. 
Dr. Povich looked healthy when I talked to him at the last game when he invited me up here. Well, Dr. Povich is lucky to be alive, said Duff. Yeah, he's been through it all, that's for sure. Everybody thought he was a goner last year when he was in that hospital down in Boston. He was there for months, wasn't he? Well, he came out of it, and Professor McIntyre was shocked. Oh, yes, his art professor friend. He's got a good 20 years on her. Jones flicked the high beams as the road darkened through a birch thicket ahead, and the jeep's large tires crunched the snow tracks. 34 years old, and I guess he's 62. I heard she likes to spend his money, said Duff. I guess Dr. Povich's wife had some bucks, and his college texts are popular. Jones laughed and zipped through the woods. You know all the dirt on campus, Duff. You ought to start a gossip column for the school paper. Maybe start with the way this telescope was refurbished. But I guess that feud was smoothed over tonight. I'm very surprised that Father Gallagher asked Povich over to the rectory. They hate each other, said Duff. The money from the Elton Foundation was set to refurbish St. Bart's. A tawny fox turned in the road ahead and his eyes glowed in the headlight's glare. He scurried into the darkness. I can't believe Povich took on Gallagher like he did. Every cent went into this telescope. Elton's governing board leans toward churches and non-profit endeavors. Povich convinced them of the observatory's merit in getting the money. Well, it may be a little bit more complicated than that. What did Father Gallagher say to him? Oh, you don't want to know exactly what Gallagher said to him. I thought he was a priest. Well, he is, but don't ever back him into a corner. He used to box and was a football player at Notre Dame. Without the Elton money, he was left to raise the 600000 for the church renovation himself. Jones gazed at the Hamilton lights twinkling across the valley. The brighter Prince William City glare unfolded beyond the Devonshire Hills to the west. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall at that rectory tonight. Duff tapped his fingers on his thigh and looked out the side window. Jones shifted along a cable fence, supported by cement posts, half buried in the snow near the cliffs. He turned onto a long, straight, wooded stretch. In the field beyond, two cars spewed smoky exhaust into the cold night air and cast their headlights across a chain gate. Oh, no, said Jones. What? Duff turned. Bucky Driscoll, why is he still up here? Fred Dempsey's maroon minivan was to the left, and parked diagonally across the mountain road was a dark brown Ford Focus. The door was marked in bold green letters, Campus Security. Oh, he's probably supposed to unlock the gate for us. Jones pulled alongside the minivan and rolled down his window. He was about to lean over to talk to Fred when the rotund Bucky, in his blue and gold security uniform, swung a huge sledgehammer through the air. What the hell is he doing? They don't call him campus insecurity for nothing, said Duff. Bucky's glasses slipped down his humongous nose and his foggy breath billowed into the night. He grunted as he bashed the gate lock. His heavy winter coat was draped over the hood of the van. Hasn't he ever heard of a key? Well, Matthias, welcome to Mount Polaris, said Fred Dempsey, smiling from the minivan. Jones stared at Bucky, and then he turned to the dark-haired Dempsey. The Fletchers want campus security to have all the keys. A sudden crunch and the sound of glass breaking sent Jones from the Jeep. Duff followed him around the minivan. Fred Dempsey looked on in astonishment as Bucky pulled a sledgehammer out of the van's smashed headlight. Bucky, you just hit my headlight! 
Hey, I ain't one to give up. I'm just glad to be alive to live another day. Bucky lifted the hammer into the air again, and everyone moved back. He growled like a distraught bear, swung again, but missed the lock and fell backward into the snow. Sitting on the icy road, he pointed at the lock. You stupid lock! Jones rushed forward and rubbed his hands in the cold. Bucky, where's your key? Still sitting in the snow, Bucky shook his head and pulled a cluster of keys from his coat pocket. He pushed his wire-rimmed glasses back up his nose, and with his mouth hanging open, he focused on the keys. Nope, she ain't here. Got them all numbered. Jones zipped his parker. He tightened his face in the cold as he looked at Duff and Fred. Fred alternated glances between the broken headlight and Bucky. Well, why don't we all get back in our cars? Dr. Povich will be along shortly, and he should have a key. Nope, nope, he don't. I took it away, said Bucky, using the hammer handle to leverage himself up. He grabbed both sides of his belt and tried to yank his trousers over his stomach. You see, Dr. Povich having that key would be a violation of school policy. Jones' fingers were numb and his nose stung. I'm going back to the Jeep. Come on into the minivan, Matthias, said Fred. Fred gawked at the broken headlight as he passed and slid the van's side door open. Big band music shook the speakers as Jones and Duff crawled inside the warmer air. Jones slid the door shut. Once Fred was back inside, he leaned forward and squinted. What a loose cannon! Nigel hired him. Apparently he had a good record at some school in New York. Yeah, ding-dong school, said Jones. Bucky, the back of his pants now soaked, returned from the campus security car with a hacksaw. What's he going to do now? Duff leaned forward. Coach, he's going to try and cut that thick chain with that little hacksaw. Jones pushed the illuminated dial on his watch. Oh, mercy. Fred, why don't we just walk the rest of the way? It's another mile, Matthias. If it were summer, I would. Jones closed his eyes for a second and reclined in the seat. He thought about the open chain on the bottom gate at the base of the mountain. Wait a minute. Didn't he open the bottom chain? Wouldn't they have the same key? Well, that would be logical, wouldn't it? Asked Fred. Jones nodded. Except Bucky changed them last week for security purposes. And then he lost the key, said Jones, looking out at Bucky, hacking furiously at the chain. No, he lost the key to the old lock. Fred turned down the radio, and an AM station out of Portland, Maine, began a news broadcast. He pushed the FM switch and twisted the dial for the campus station. Nice van here, Fred. You like the van? Jones checked the mileage. Is that 275,000? Van looks newer than that. No, 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 you're looking at the elapsed mileage, 275. I always push it to zero when I fill up on gas, so if something goes wrong with the gauge, as it has on occasion, I know how many miles I have left before I'm running on fumes. But I did cross the 140,000 mark. This van owes me nothing. I change the oil frequently. Well, that's the ticket, said Jones, peering out the side mirror. Headlights shined down the cleared snow road. Jones checked his watch. It was 7.32. Oh, good. Maybe this is Dr. Povich. The car switched to low beams. Duff turned quickly. It's Sergi's BMW. Sergi, said Jones, smiling briefly at Bucky, still hacking the thick chain out front. Unless the doctor has a key, I don't know why we're all so enthusiastic. Bucky is still soaring out there. We could be here all night. The gray BMW slowed and stopped behind Jones's Jeep. Jones slid open the van door and hopped into the frigid air. 
The BMW's driver's window electronically moved downward, and the bearded Povich, bushy brows blending into his fur-lined hat, peered up at Jones. Problem, Matthias? he asked tersely. Jones moved closer to his puffy brown eyes. Povich was usually a congenial man with a good sense of humor, but he did not seem happy right now. Bucky, he lost the key to the gate. Povich rolled his eyes, adjusted his cashmere scarf, and put on his brown leather gloves. Then he opened the door, slowly swung his body around, and stuck his feet into the snow. He grabbed the edges of the door and lifted himself up. Jones was not sure whether he would insult Povich by taking his arm, but readied himself in case the doctor fell. Povich shuffled in slow motion across the snow to the front gate, where Bucky was still sawing wildly and swearing openly. Jones could see no progress as he cut the cold metal. Excuse me, Mr. Driscoll, said Povich. Steam moved upward from the elongated, sweaty stretch along Bucky's back. In the cold air, he curled his lip upward and breathed heavily. Huh? I believe you misplaced the key. Ah, oh, don't you worry, Dr. Povich. I've had years of experience in security. Jones rolled his eyes and jumped up and down to negate the effects of the cold. He had coached football games in colder weather than this, but at least he could run up and down the sidelines. Your hat, said Povich. Oh, I don't need no hat. The cold in me. Hey, we're good buddies, said Bucky, and with saw in hand, he faced the chain again. No, the other day in my office you taped the key to the visor of your hat. Jones looked to his right and retrieved Bucky's hat from the car hood. Under the visor was a long piece of masking tape. The key was stuck to the adhesive when he peeled it back. Bucky, still looking confused, held the hacksaw in his hand. Jones pulled the key from the tape and handed it to him as Povich slowly returned to his car. Ha! No wonder I couldn't find it. Jones pinched the bridge of his nose. Bucky walked back to the chain and was about to place the key in the lock, but he dropped it in the snow. He bent over and scoured the ground. Jones threw up his hands and then stomped across the snow, almost slipping. He spotted the key near the gatepost, bent down and pinched it between his fingers. Ha <laughs> ha! You got an eagle eye there, coach, an eagle eye! Jones thrust the key into the lock and popped it. He and Duff dragged the chain back across the road, but Bucky gripped the links and ran through the snow. Jones fought to maintain his balance. With the gate now open, he moved precariously to Povich's car, and the electric window came down again. He handed the key to the doctor. Here, I think you better hold on to this, doctor. Hold it! Hold it! called Bucky as he ran from the gate. Let's not violate school policy! I need that key! I don't want to have to file a negative report. Bucky, how about we just let the doctor keep the key? Matthias, I am out of compliance. Truer words were never spoken from the mouth of man. Povich's window went up and he drove forward over the snowpack. Jones followed Duff into the jeep as Fred Dempsey started forward, one headlight now illuminating the road ahead. Jones leaned out the jeep window. Bucky stood with his hands on his hips. Tough break, Buck. You'll just have to wing it. He shifted as Bucky kept ranting at the gate, and in the side mirror kicked the snow near his car. Oh, yeah, you stupid gate. Oh, you're a pain in the ass, you know that? Bucky Driscoll. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich. Chapter 2. An intricate mass of brilliant stars stretched across the cold winter sky. Jones and Duff walked through the snow toward the huge white dome, 
housing the college telescope within a long cinder block building. Where's the Big Dipper? asked Jones. He gazed up again and followed Duff's extended arm upward. The familiar group of stars sparkled just above the Devonshire Hills and the Fletcher Estate north of town. I've always wanted to learn the constellations. What about those series of bright stars? Well, that's Orion, the hunter, watched by Cassiopeia. Jones scanned the sky as they reached the door. Orion's the one with the stars in his belt, right? What was that, coach? Duff opened the metal door. Duff, I'm trying to learn something. You're out to lunch tonight. The warmer air filtered out the door. How do you know which stars are hot and which ones are cooler? Well, you can tell the temperature of each of those stars by the color. The bluer ones are hotter. Jones followed him inside the white cinder block foyer. Hanging metal shaded lamps blazed from the high galvanized ceiling and a group of offices faced the long white telescope. Povich clutched the metal frame of an open elevator and rose 15 feet to the telescope platform. Jones banged his boots on the cement. Are you all right, doctor? Povich was unusually pale and breathed heavily. Jones feared the confrontation with Gallagher and the confusion at the gate might have shaken him. I'm afraid I'm just a little fatigued this evening. We can cancel. No, I'm all right. I am. He paused and stepped onto the metal grid and trekked to the black vinyl observation chairs at the telescope's base. He carefully lowered himself to the front chair. Once settled, he lifted an adjacent long clipboard into his lap. Duff, is he all right? asked Jones in a lower voice. You know he's been sick, Coach. I'm sure this is the effects of his disease. He's really been sick. So, Matthias, said Fred Dempsey, emerging from the first side office in his khaki chinos and blue button-down shirt. As Dr. Povich's assistant, I must pose the official question to all our visitors. Have you ever looked at the stars? Well, I've seen the stars, but not through a telescope like this. Completely refurbished. Big bucks, said Fred, loud enough for Povich to turn. As Fred crossed the room toward a spiral staircase, Duff leaned over and whispered, That's taking away a lot of stained glass windows at, at St. Bart's. That reminds me, said Povich from above. You are supposed to finish the report on expenditures here, Fred. I'm aware of that, Sergi. Procrastination will be your downfall, Fred. Povich was still angry, perhaps from his dinner with Gallagher. Jones looked at the lighted computer screen and books scattered around Fred's office. Come on, coach. Duff motioned Jones to the metal staircase next to the elevator. Jones climbed behind his lanky player. When Jones reached the platform, Povich sat with his eyes closed. Are you all right, doctor? Yes, fine said Povich, opening his glassy eyes. He leaned back in the contoured chair near the telescope's eyepiece. Just a little indigestion. Shall I tell Father Gallagher he needs to send for takeout next time? asked Jones. There will be no next time. That man is about as much a priest as I am. Fred appeared at the top of the metal staircase. He raised his brows and shrugged his shoulders. Well, at least we have a clear night. About time said Povich, squirming slowly in the chair. He rubbed his shoulder. Duff, prepare the telescope for observation. Yes, doctor. Then I wish to speak privately with you. Povich swiveled in the chair and perked up. He gazed down as if he were in the lecture hall. 
This telescope is capable of looking halfway across the galaxy. Most people don't realize that we work here all night, fight the storms, and progress is measured in centimeters, not kilometers. Meticulous observation, gentlemen. Right, Fred? Meticulous! Can you really see the craters on the moon? asked Jones. Povich smiled. Of course, Matthias, but you need the moon in the sky. Oh! Jones turned as the outside door slammed and Bucky coughed. What exactly is your specialty, doctor? You know, your area of expertise. Safid variables. Sounds like something swimming in the Hamilton Bay, said Jones. Actually, we're talking about quickly orbiting high gravities that output tremendous energy at periodic rates. I am fond of measuring those rates. Bursts of energy. Yes, like lighthouse beacons. Now, my contention has always been... Hey, fellas, I put that gate out of action, shouted Bucky as he dragged snow across the floor. Povich seemed annoyed as he watched Bucky cross the room and then he looked back at Jones and Duff. As I was saying, my thesis over the years has been variable, no pun intended. If we extrapolate this data, want to know how I did it? Asked Bucky, now wearing a thick-knitted cap and a heavy wool coat inside the building. Bucky, Dr. Povich is trying to tell us about Cepheid variables, said Jones. I ran it down. I got in my car. I revved up the engine and got mad at the damn thing. Damage wasn't too bad, he said, looking at Fred. Well, I still only have one headlight, said Fred as the phone rang. Excuse me. He quickly moved to the wall phone at the far end of the grid and picked up the receiver. Fred Dempsey. Yes, he did. Tibbets or Grunion. Okay, I'll call you back. Jones studied the telescope. You were saying, doctor. Bucky walked in a complete circle below them. Hey, anybody seen the head? I had to go so bad I can taste it. Fred closed his eyes and pointed toward the entryway. Bucky lumbered across the observatory and rounded the corner. With a grin, Fred stared at the entryway. Then he turned to Jones. Tell me this guy really doesn't work for the college. No, he does. Jones's smile fell when he looked at the pale Povich. Gears and wheels turned as Povich adjusted something in the telescope mechanism. Come over here, Duff, said Povich. If you gentlemen will excuse me for a few minutes, I apologize. Sure, said Jones, and he followed Fred down the staircase. Jones stood in the office doorway as Fred shuffled some wire rim notebooks on the counter. Above, Povich turned in the chair. Duff sat in the adjacent chair as Povich leaned forward, elbows on his knees, pointing. Duff appeared uncomfortable. Fred held some reports as he emerged from one of the side offices. Matthias, welcome to the world of astronomical observation. Jones tilted his head and tried to read the papers in Fred's hand. Looks like you have to record what you do. Observations, etc. Writing and research. Somebody has to do it. Let me show you around here while those two kibitz. Jones glanced upward again. Povich briefly held Duff's wrist. They seemed to have a close relationship, more than just a professor and a student. Povich talks like he's Duff's father. Fred pushed his lips together and looked down. Oh, without Sergi, well, Duff would have lost everything. What do you mean? Fred pulled Jones into the cinder block office. You're his coach, and I shouldn't spread stories, but I think you should know the truth. Know what? Pills. What? He peered around the corner and stared at his auburn-haired player. I don't believe it. 
Where did you hear something outrageous like that, Fred? Rumors can be deadly. Sergi told me himself, if it wasn't for Sergi helping the kid, he probably would have died. But I think he's clean now. Oh, come on, the kid's on my basketball team. No way. I don't believe it. His play has been off this year, but I can't believe this. Bucky rounded the cinder block corner and tried to zip up his fly, but the zipper was stuck. Jones turned back to Fred. I'll keep this confidential, of course. Stupid zipper! Bucky entered the office, still yanking at the zipper, and then finally pulled it up. The heat from the long metal wall units warmed the office, but Bucky positioned his stocking cap over his forehead and zipped up his heavy coat to the neck. There! You know, Matthias, my sister wants to go out with you. Jones stared at Bucky's large nose and protruding teeth and wondered what the sister would look like. Great. Then the campus security man maneuvered himself between Jones and Fred. So, Dr. Dempsey, I want you to know that I've been doing some observing in my backyard telescope. Oh? asked Fred, smiling at Jones. Yeah, I've been studying Tranquility Base. You know, Tranquility Base where Buzz Armstrong landed on the moon in 69? That's Neil Armstrong, Bucky, said Jones. Flag is still flapping up there. Fred edged Jones toward the door. Well, that's quite impossible, Bucky. The moon has no air. Ah, well, there's a lot of hot air down here, though, said Jones as they passed the befuddled Bucky and headed back to the main observatory. Povich was still speaking with Duff. Jones remained stunned that Duff had a drug problem. It was hidden very well. Are you ready, Sergi? asked Fred, but Povich did not hear him. We'll start the observations, providing you're all right. I don't want to push you. I don't think he looks well, Fred, whispered Jones. Sergi? Sergi! One minute, Fred. Povich again jammed his finger at Duff. Well, tonight we'll be scanning M13 in Orion's belt, said Fred. What is that, a galaxy, asked Jones. Exactly. See, you've been studying up. Lucky guess. Jones shrugged his shoulders and grinned. Duff stood quickly and asked Povich if he was all right. Povich took some deep breaths and complained of being dizzy. He made an attempt to stand, but staggered on the grid and collapsed. Duff leaned over the fallen doctor as Jones sprinted across the cement and leaped up the spiral staircase. He scrambled across the platform. He's dead, coach! Jones put his ear next to Povich's chest, then he checked for a neck pulse. When he did not hear a heartbeat, he tilted back Povich's head, moved his tongue back, and pinched his nose as he breathed into the doctor's lungs. Then he began compressions on the chest and brought the air out. Fred, call the fire department. Get the EMTs up here. Tell them no heartbeat, no breathing, nothing. Hey, what's the matter? Doc have too much bubbly? <laughs> Asked Bucky. Out of the way, Bucky, yelled Fred. We have a medical emergency here. Jones continued the CPR, furiously repeating the cycle of compression and breathing. He looked up when he felt Fred's hand on his arm. Fred's eyes were moist and he shook his head. Matthias, you've been at it for ten minutes. He's not coming back. Where are those damned EMTs, shouted Jones. Bucky started down the ladder. Cancel medical emergency, Fred squatted beside Jones. He was sick for a long time. He's lucky to have recovered and had the time that he did. Jones stood slightly winded by the CPR. Duff cried from behind the telescope as Jones passed Fred, but eyed Povich's body sprawled over the grid. Duff hid his eyes as Jones approached. You all right, Duff? Oh, God. Apparently, he still had some problems with his heart. He's dead. 
Bucky strutted from the inner office and yelled through cupped hands. I just contacted the said unroofed potties by the land-based line. ETA has been canceled. Said potties have alerted Chief Strickland. What did he say? asked Jones, and he turned to Duff. Come on, Duff, there's nothing more you can do up here. Duff wiped his eyes with his sweatshirt sleeve and nodded. Jones put his arm around him, and they moved toward the spiral stairway. He passed an unmoving Povich again. A heart attack was a heart attack. Clayton Morris, the medical examiner, would fine-tune the cause of death. His father, a career police officer and detective, always told him to go with his instincts, and his suspicions right now tilted toward murder, but he did not want to start asking questions while everyone was grieving. After all, this was not a murder investigation, yet something was not right. Bucky's gyrating and arrogant voice echoed from Fred's office. Jones stepped around the corner. Bucky was in Fred's chair and his feet propped up on a stack of papers as he shouted into the phone. I don't care who you are. This is campus security, mister. We have an emergency here. Who are you calling? asked Jones. Bucky covered the receiver, almost falling back in the swivel chair. Hamilton Fletcher. Hamilton Fletcher? Jones raced through the office and quickly pushed down the hook. The Fletchers fund Hamilton College, Bucky. Bucky's face reddened as he held the phone and struggled to get out of the chair. I have to inform you, Coach Jones, that you're interfering with an official campus security investigation. Investigation? Bucky, you don't call Hamilton Fletcher about this, especially at this hour. I have my obligations. He tried dialing again. Jones reached around the desk and pulled the module from the wall. Bucky leaned forward. Nice try, Mr. Smarty Pants, but there are other phones in existence. I've got some advice for you, Bucky. Buzz off! Bucky mumbled and marched into the observatory. Oh, gee, everybody is going to leave me alone. I'm just trying to do my job. Jones studied the scattered notebooks, stacks of paper, and computer disks. Even books were not put back on the shelves. He looked through the blinds. George Strickland's cruiser was now parked next to his jeep. The observatory's outside door opened and cold air rushed inside. Strickland, bundled in his blue coat, banged his boots on the front mats and started inside. His brow furrowed as he looked at Jones. What happened, Matthias? Looks like a heart attack, George. I think. Jones pointed to the platform as they crossed the cement. I tried CPR. What did he do, climb the stairs and collapse? No, he took the elevator. He was up there 10 or 15 minutes. He was just talking to one of my players when he fell over and died. No screaming in agony, he just dropped dead. Well, he had a heart condition, said Fred. He's been ill for some time. Strickland nodded and they climbed the spiral staircase. For no reason, Jones kept thinking murder as he moved onto the grid. George, we still need to call Clayton Morris. Strickland reached the body, bent over and listened. I remember reading in the Enterprise how Povich almost died last year in Boston. What we need to do is notify his wife. His wife is dead, said Fred. He has a girlfriend. Jones stared at Povich's bristly beard, dropped jar, and hands spread on the metal. One of the professors, younger than he is. Sergio is close to the art professor, Elsie McIntyre. I better call Gallagher, said Jones. This will send him into a tizzy. Strickland stood. Well, Father Gallagher will have to restrain his joy. After all, Matthias, all that money from the Elton Foundation was supposed to go into the church, and it went into this place. That's not what I'm concerned about, George. 
Galga had Povich over to dinner this evening. They had an argument. Povich left upset. Well, there's no need to make Gallagher feel guilty about this. Something's wrong here. I can feel it. Jones wandered over to Povich again and squatted. Inducing a heart attack in a man with known cardiovascular problems is easy, George. Just increase potassium. That'll do him in. Thias, I would keep any speculation to myself. You know how Herbert Lane always thinks you're interfering with his investigations. Everyone that dies isn't always murdered. He stood next to Jones, looked him in the eye, and spoke in a lower voice. Matthias, there's no basis for murder here. George, there's always a basis for murder. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 3 The gymnasium shook as the cram bleacher crowd screamed. Jones returned to the bench. The lead had changed five times in the quarter. The cheerleaders' chant rocked the gym as a somber Duff Davis in his red and black Hamilton uniform shuffled along the sidelines. For 72 hours, Jones had tried to convince himself Fred Dempsey's report of Duff using drugs was not true. But he also knew in his state of denial he might be falsely protecting one of his best players. Duff, take Chet's place, Chet, take a rest. He patted Chet on the back and was surrounded by an improvised team huddle. With two minutes left on the clock, he needed something bold. Listen, boys, you're down by seven points. You need to go inside. Outside, you're cold as ice. All the students and assembled faculty studied his every move. This team lacked the talent of past years, but they gave everything to win. The buzzer sounded and the team put their hands together and broke from the huddle. The nimble Tammy Welch climbed atop the cheerleader's human pyramid as the teams moved to center court. But Jones eyed a blonde-haired woman back in the bleachers. She smiled and Jones turned back to center court. As the cheerleaders finished, Bucky in his beige and brown security uniform held a megaphone in his hand and paced behind the far basket. Well, I see the hairy artillery has arrived, said his assistant coach. Bucky is a walking time bomb, woozy. The pyramid collapsed and Tammy Welch toppled onto the hardwood floor. She sat up crying and held her ankle. The crowd produced a distinct hush as Jones ran along the bleachers and through the gathering crowd of players and other cheerleaders he studied her twisted ankle. Her little round face tightened. Are you all right, Tammy? My ankle, it's broken. Jones spotted Leo Crowley and signaled with his fingers. Leo, get a coal pack for my bag. Leo, a large man with a rusty beard, nodded and lumbered back to the bench. One of the players threw the coal pack to Leo and he hurled it underhand to Jones. Jones broke the inner liquid seal and set the pack against Tammy's ankle. Tammy winced. Her luminous blue eyes closed. I'll get my truck, said Leo. We'll get you over to the infirmary, Tammy. It looks like a bad spring. No, it's broken. A tall woman with blonde hair quickly moved out of the crowd. Excuse me, I'm a nurse. Jones nodded, trying to keep his mind focused on the game. Then please start nursing, miss. Sure. Jones instructed his players to help move Tammy to a bleacher seat. The nurse checked over her ankle as a number of professors and other cheerleaders sat with her. As the game was about to begin, Bucky blasted an inaudible dribble through the megaphone. Attack all the people in the gym! They can't keep in the basketball game! We're gonna The buzzer sounded and the final two minutes began. Duff chanced a long, looping shot and missed the rim. Norwich exploded with an outside flourish, putting the game out of reach. 
Duff also wasted a couple of layups, and Jones wondered if Fred's accusation about the pills was affecting Duff's play on the court. Maybe he had started popping pills again. It was time to confront Duff and have him tested. Bleachers emptied when the buzzer sounded and Jones closed his eyes. He walked through the crowd onto the gym floor and shook Milt Wilson's hand. Good outside game there, Milty. You cheerleader all right, Matthias? She sprained her ankle. Bad day all around. Ah, you're building your team. Jones rolled his eyes. These guys are all seniors, Milty, but they never give up. Before Milt could say anything else, Bucky appeared to his right and moved along with Jones. Hey, coach, you need to push your players a little harder. Being Mr. Nice Guy ain't going to win no ball games. If it were my team, I'd begin practice drills on Sunday mornings. Now, if you want to take into account the poor defense... Bucky, why don't you just go direct traffic or something? Jones turned to Milt. Get time for a coffee, Milt? No, we have to get back on the bus, Matthias, but I'll take a rain check. He didn't let me conduct a proper investigation at the observatory, said Bucky as they dodged the crowd. We'll leave that for George Strickland, Bucky. Milt shook hands with Jones again and headed for the locker room. As Jones turned to check on Tammy, the feedback from Bucky's megaphone pierced his eardrums. He clenched his jaw and was about to yell, but Bucky squeezed through the front doors. Bucky pointed the megaphone back to the crowd. Now hear this. Now hear this. Clear the way. Everyone will exit said facilities in a reasonable way in a single file. Jones stood next to Leo Crowley. That guy's a blithering idiot. Yeah, but how do you really feel about him, coach? Asked Leo. Two members of the team helped Tammy in her white Hamilton sweater onto her feet as Leo picked up the coal pack. I'll get her over to the infirmary. My truck is right outside. I'm sure it's just a sprain, said Jones. Tammy nodded. Can't do any cheerleading with a cast, coach. Jones nodded as Woozy moved across the gym, signaling an incoming call with his thumb and his little finger against his ear and mouth. Jones stepped forward. Who is it, Wooz? Father Gallagher calling from St. Bart's. About time he returned my phone calls. He doesn't sound like himself. Jones scurried across the gym and entered the locker room. No doubt Gallagher was distressed about Povich's death following the abruptly ended dinner. Duff looked directly at Jones before entering the locker room. Jones moved inside. Woozy, behind the glass in his office, handed the phone to Jones. Jim, I've been calling you for three days. Jones sat down, balancing in his chair, but Gallagher had not answered. Jim, are you there? Matthias. He said in a low voice. I have to be held responsible. No, Jim, Povich had a heart attack. You don't understand. I started in on him again. You know how he diverted the money from the foundation? He got me so damn mad. Jones stood and then sat on the edge of the desk. Listen, we just finished the game. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Please, I need your help. Okay, just let me wrap things up here at the gym. I'll be right over. I don't know if I can stay here. What do you mean by that? You don't understand. For three days, this whole thing has been eating away at me. Stay put, Father. Give me a half an hour. Jones set down the phone as Bucky leaned in the doorway to his office. Father Gallagher shouldn't have got the dark so upset. Bucky, I don't appreciate you listening to my private conversations. Unless he deliberately tried to get Povich upset. Bucky extended his lower teeth over his upper lip as he thought, Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Don't worry, coach, I'll solve this. There's nothing to solve. 
Don't you have parking tickets to write? Cars to tow? Jones grabbed his parker from the wall hook and passed Bucky. Across the locker room, he dragged Woozy away from a couple of players near the lockers. Wooz, I'm going over to St. Bart's. Jim seems pretty upset. I need to talk to him. You think Povich was murdered? You're as bad as... Jones turned, but Bucky was gone. Well, thank God for small favors. He's gone. No, the coroner hasn't said that. Povich had a heart attack. Jones scanned the other locker alcoves for Duff. He spoke out of the side of his mouth and held Woozy's wrist. Listen, I'll be in Prince William. Jones threw his parker over his suit, took his keys from his pocket, and headed out the rear door. But talk of murder sent his mind scrambling again. With Povich's long history of heart problems, and because he almost died last summer, a scenario of an induced heart attack now seemed like one of his dad's side road theories. He could still see his dad squinting his eyes. Side road theories meant nothing without evidence. He put on his stocking cap and pushed up his parker hood as he hit the cold air. His father, years ago as a detective in Indiana, always had side road theories, as he called them. Bill Jones, a widower when Jones was only five years old, wanted his son to become a cop, but Jones was an athlete. His father one day showed up at practice and supported him all the way, but Jones still had a penchant for his father's work. Jones went on to play college football and baseball at Ohio Central. In his first year out of college, he coached his team to the state high school championship 56 to nothing. A clip of the game was shown on ABC. Some Hamilton College football fan from Prince William, New Hampshire, named Coco Stefani, called his Aunt May's house in Wabash Corners. Now as he crossed the gym parking lot's hard cake snow, the brilliant sun fired rays through the deep blue clouds above the bare trees. A line of cars, headlights glowing, proceeded out of the gym parking lot toward town. Jones placed his key in his Jeep's icy door lock. He grinned when he thought of first hearing Coco's voice. Coco spoke in the midst of a bar or a restaurant with a funky music beat shaking the phone. You Jones? What? I said, are you Jones? He shouted. Who wants to know? After a short silence, the man laughed as the music continued. Hey, I like that. Name's Coco. Coco Stefani. What is it you want? Listen, I got a hot tip for you. My life is filled with hot tips, pal. Again, he heard a chuckle. I'm serious, Jones. You want to coach college ball? Who the hell are you? Never mind who I am. You ever heard of Hamilton College? Hamilton? No, I can't say that I have. On the coast of New Hampshire, between Maine and Massachusetts. See, they have this dimwit coach named Larson. He's been here for 40 years, and he's finally retiring. What's his record? Coco laughed. <laughs> Lawson never hit double digits. The man is an idiot. But that's irrelevant. The job is opening up. Why do you care? You work for the college? Let's just say I have a financial interest in the college and I have connections. How did you track me down? Hey, you ask a lot of questions, Jones. The report about you is just on Channel Z. Channel Z? Isn't that the gambling channel out of Atlantic City? Why do you care what it is? Hold on. He spoke with somebody in the background. Yeah, no, 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 no. Get him out of here. You tell him to bring the cash to the club tonight. Then he spoke louder. You still there, Jonesy? Yeah, I'm here, he said, grinning at being called Jonesy. What I'm telling you is, I can get you the job. One call to the Fletchers and you're in. Jones laughed out loud as he opened the Jeep door. The Jeep, less than a year old, was in the cold air since this morning. 
Here he was in New Hampshire, and his Aunt May and all her friends stayed back in Indiana. He turned the key and smiled as the engine quickly turned over. As the wipers swiped a thin layer of snow and frost across the windshield, Bucky Driscoll's little brown security car fishtailed across the gym parking lot and onto the street. Jones shook his head and fiddled with the heater switch. The air was still cold through the Jeep vents. He pulled out his cell phone and for a moment he hesitated, placing a call to Clayton Morris's medical examiner's office. Again, as the Jeep warmed, he thought back. He remembered how he had thanked Coco and thought that was the end of the Hamilton College coaching job. Two days later, after Coco's call, a pushy man with a patrician attitude and an Ivy League voice reached him after supper. His name was Hamilton Fletcher, and he and his family, of which he rattled off a long pedigree, owned Hamilton College. Jones told him he wanted more high school years to gain experience. Well, you have nothing to lose, son. A nice trip to New England, and you're under no obligations. Aunt May was shocked that Fletcher had already reserved a first-class seat booked in Jones's name. She told Jones that if his father were still alive, he'd carry him to the airport on his back. So Jones boarded the Delta 747 for Boston. Jones pushed the direct dial for Clayton's office. By now, his old friend would have completed the autopsy reports. A secretary answered, but put him on hold as he started through the snow-lined streets toward the highway. Tell Clayton it's Matthias Jones. Clayton's assistant came on the line. Matthias, Clayton definitely wants to talk to you about Dr. Povich. What about Dr. Povich, Hal? I can't say right now, but we're waiting for the rest of the lab reports. We've been delayed because of this Miss McIntyre. The art professor, McIntyre? Yeah, she held up the autopsy. She didn't even want it. Won't be much longer. Call Clayton back in maybe 10 or 15 minutes. We could have something important, but he has to talk to George Strickland first. Well, what the hell is going on over there? Matthias, don't get me in trouble. Just call me back. Jones skidded at the Hamilton Street stop sign near the science building. He agreed to call back in a few minutes, but now since Dr. Povich was murdered. On the illuminated cell phone dial, as the heater further warmed the jeet, he punched in Fred Dempsey's number. The line rang and he was about to hang up when a winded Fred Dempsey answered. Hello. Jones was reluctant to share his thoughts about Povich being murdered. He needed more information. Fred, this is Matthias Jones. Oh, Matthias, I uh, heard your team lost. Word travels quickly. Listen, my friend Father Gallagher is upset that he may have provoked Dr. Povich into having a heart attack. Well, Sergi did have dinner at St. Bart's Rectory. The two men were enemies. I was surprised Sergi had agreed to meet with Gallagher. His heart was bad, right? I mean, he was a sick man, right? Are you asking whether Sergi was ill? Well, was he? Well, he was very ill. And I know they hated each other. Like I say, I was surprised they even dined. Excuse me, I have someone on call waiting. Jones heard a click, but then Fred came back on the line. Do you want me to pick you up some coffee there, cutie? Jones laughed. No, dear, I'll drive myself. Oh, I'm sorry, said Fred as he too chuckled. The line clicked again and Jones heard nothing for a few seconds. I have to pick up my wife's... All right, uh, sure, I'll talk to you later. Jones drove off campus. It was actually near the development off of Route 32 where Fred Dempsey lived. Unlike the town, the highway through the Devonshire Hills was sanded and salted, but Jones kept the Jeep in second gear up the incline. He passed the high snow banks at the development entrance. A few seconds later, in his rearview mirror, Fred's van, still minus a headlight, stopped at the street corner. Jones shook his head as he thought of Bucky, bashing the light with a sledgehammer. 
As Fred's taillights disappeared toward Hamilton, Jones checked the highway just in case Bucky had decided to follow him to St. Bart's. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 4 The lights of Prince William spread over the sloping basin toward the ocean. Again, Jones imagined Povich collapsing under his telescope, and with Clayton's office awaiting lab results, he contemplated the real possibility of murder. Obviously, Povich was not shot, stabbed, or beaten to death. The doctor had avoided the spiral staircase and had taken the elevator. For a man of his age and recent poor medical history, even climbing the steep stairs would be an arduous task. What if it was something in his blood? Perhaps he had not taken his medications, or maybe he had taken too much medication. He checked his rearview mirror. The road back to Hamilton was clear. He flipped on the college radio station as the dry heat flowed through the dash vents. More snow had fallen on this side of the hills. What if someone poisoned Povich? In the words of Bill Jones, you've been involved in too many murder cases, Jones. The guy was 62 years old, had a history of heart problems, and he almost died last year. The college disc jockey was preparing the local news. Resnick was a freshman football player with a little athletic talent. Still topping the news this evening is the sudden death of Dr. Sergi Povich, who died at the Hamilton College Observatory Tuesday evening. Dr. Povich suffered an apparent heart attack while making observations with the observatory students, Professor Fred Dempsey and Coach Matthias Jones. Jones winced at the sound of his name on the report. Dr. Dempsey had this comment. A poorly recorded audio of Fred crackled over the speakers. Students chatting and laughing threatened to drown out what he had to say. Of course, we were all saddened, not only in the astronomy department, but Dr. Povich's death will reverberate off campus in the astronomical community where his research was greatly appreciated. Do you hope to carry on the doctor's research? Asked another student reporter. I will certainly carry on Sergi's research. Yes, that is very important. Jones looked at the radio. Cepheid variables. We worked very closely in studying Cepheid variables. Jones smiled and nodded. The highway leveled out but was not well sanded. He downshifted the jeep and moved over a compacted layer of snow and ice. He'll surely be missed. Resnick's clearer voice came back on the air. Dr. Povich was chairman of the astronomy department, a chair he held for the past 18 years. Funeral arrangements are incomplete at this time. Sure, Clayton has his body on the table, Resnick. In other college news, Hamilton College President Nigel Kent continues meeting with student leaders at the Hamilton College Auditorium. Students have voiced concern with the added fees due to the athletic budget increases. Coach Matthias Jones has been unavailable for comment on the increased student fees. Nobody asked me! Jones twisted the dial to a jazz concert. He picked up his cell phone and dialed the medical examiner's office. The road ahead was not very well plowed and he slowed as the line rang. This is Matthias. I've been thinking about this Povich thing. Did the lab find something in his bloodstream? Clayton has requested I don't comment on this. Oh, come on, said Jones, slowing for the shortcut to Prince William. But the jeep skidded and spun in a circle across the road. 
stupid thing. Well, you don't have to get personal. You don't understand. The line clicked off and Jones's Jeep was pointed across the road. He turned the wheel and started toward Prince William. The snow-covered road widened as more houses appeared ahead. His thoughts focused on Father Gallagher. It seemed Gallagher's argument with Povich probably did not induce the heart attack at the observatory. Jones figured he was making a big leap, assuming Dr. Povich's death was murder. Maybe Gallagher could recount Povich's last hours. Something the doctor said or if he failed to take medication might illuminate the circumstances of his death. Jones, you don't know that Povich was murdered. The jazz concert continued as Jones turned onto a sandy city street. St. Bart's and the rectory were only two blocks away. The snowbanks tainted with dirt were at least a foot higher in Prince William. Through the trees ahead, near the traffic light, the stone spires of St. Bart's rose into the sky glow. He put on his blinker, downshifted, and turned into the parking lot between the church and the rectory's snow-coated clapboards. Jones stepped outside and locked his door. The air bit his ears and he moved up his parka hood. He gazed around the empty, plowed lot, lit by a single white halogen bulb on a pole above a blue metal dumpster. The rectory itself was dark except for the yellow blaze from lamps in the first floor front rooms. Jones trekked across the compacted snow and up the shoveled walk. What was going on in the doctor's mind as he trudged up from his BMW? Had he taken his medication for his heart condition or a combination of other pills for assorted problems? Jones climbed the icy wooden porch stairs and stepped up to the storm door. He pushed a bell and a cascade of melody sounded inside. Trying to keep warm, he bounced up and down as he waited in the cold. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 5 The inner frosted door opened and the orange-haired Gallagher, wearing a crimson sweater and jeans, pushed open the storm door. His large teeth shone through a continuous smile, but circles ringed his blue eyes. Matthias, what are you doing, a little jig? Perhaps you should consider the parish talent show in April. Very funny, Father. Are you going to let me inside or should I keep dancing? I haven't decided yet. His eyes were bloodshot and he motioned Jones forward in one sweeping gesture. Jones stomped his sneakers on the foyer mat as Gallagher closed the door. I know how meticulous you are about your floors. I'll remove my sneakers, Father. No, no, come in, Matthias, he said, taking Jones's arm and led him into the front parlor. Jones did not need to see the clear bottle of gin, half full, the ice bucket, and the empty glass on the side table to realize Gallagher had consumed more than his usual bedtime martini. Jim, how much have you had to drink? He produced a loud barroom laugh. Oh, probably not enough. No, you've done justice to that gin, that's for sure. Gallagher grabbed the remote to his large TV. The game's on from the coast. Maybe you can take some notes. Hint, hint. <laughs> Jones shook his head as Gallagher fell into his leather recliner and pushed the remote. The TV blasted across the room. Jones had to raise his voice. Jim, I didn't come here to watch the game. Movie, perhaps? They're running the Thornbirds complete. <laughs> Jim, you're drunk. I've never seen you drunk. Gallagher's face flattened and he nodded. He shut off the TV and the room was silent. Yeah, I'm drunk. You bet I'm drunk. Jones opened his mouth to speak, but was unsure exactly what he'd say. Listen, let me get you some coffee. Is your housekeeper here? No, I sent her home. I can see why. Jones wandered through the dining room and into the kitchen. 
He opened the old white refrigerator and spotted the gold foil bag, Galga's special coffee blend on the top shelf. Jones called back through the crowd noise, once again on the parlor TV. I'm making the coffee, Jim, and turn that thing down. Well, make it strong. Jones held the cold bag in his hand. Oh, it'll be black and potent. He moved over to the white coffee maker on the center island and opened the drawer. Quickly, he popped the lid and scooped out several spoonfuls of rich Colombian coffee into the filter. He filled the carafe and yelled back to Gallagher as he poured the water. Tell me what happened last Tuesday with Povich. His voice was muffled between the rooms. What's to tell? Jones pushed the coffee maker button. The red light popped on and he walked back through the dining room. The man is dead. You had supper with him. Was he sick at supper? A clump of Gallagher's orange hair was visible in the recliner. He was in fine spirits when he arrived. And Jones walked around the recliner. Gallagher, his face somber, looked up. The subject came up as we sat down. Jones had never seen his friend so bleak. The Elton Foundation money. I dismissed it. And he started lecturing me about the allocation to the telescope observatory. Do you know how much money I had to personally raise to refurbish St. Bart's because of him? Elton was a parishioner in the 1930s. Oh, when you first took over here. Gallagher's face remained flat, but his lips curled over his teeth. I can tell you this because you're my friend, Matthias. I hated him. I'm not supposed to hate people, am I? The man listened to that, that woman, that money grubber. The art professor, McIntyre, Elsie McIntyre. She's the one who made him go after that money. I'm convinced of it. Povich might as well have stolen it. And he used a smear campaign against me with the Elton family. Jones sat on the arm of the chair. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. They kept it hushed within the foundation. Povich accused me of using money for my own personal expenses. Got back to the bishop. There was a thorough audit. They found nothing improper, of course, but that money was long gone to that, that telescope of his. Well, Povich never seemed vindictive to me. I didn't know him very well, but he seemed congenial enough, very sure of himself. He projected authority. He even helped one of my players with a drug problem. Yeah, well, that's nice. Gallagher shook his head and kept his eyes closed for at least a half a minute. I'm sure Elsie McIntyre was his cohort. She was his companion because of the money anyways. He had money from the sale of his college tax and his wife left money. I hated the man. And I haven't acted properly. I understand that. Well, why invite him to dinner? This Elton thing happened over a year ago before Povich got sick. Well, what happened at dinner, Jim? He stood and walked around the recliner. I'm trying to help you, Jim. You're my friend. Well, I blew up. I told him exactly what I thought of him as an individual, and I really laid into his hoity-toity art professor girlfriend. She used him. She used him for the money, and I told him that. I made remarks about his age and how she was younger. Why would she bother with him? So he left. No, 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 no. He became enraged and started up again on me about my absconding with parish funds. I was livid. It went on for ten minutes. You know I was a fighter in college, Matthias. I was this close. 
Gallagher held his index finger over his thumb, to smacking him. And you know what? What? Gallagher pushed himself out of the recliner. He stood two inches higher than Jones. I have to be accountable for his death. And I gloated when I heard the news. Jones looked into his moist eyes. Jim, we're all human. We can't sit back and act like robots when somebody accuses us of things we didn't do. Then he walked to the front window. The fresh aroma meandered back into the parlor. He pulled back the curtain and the old Venetian blinds. My God, what have I done? Listen, let me get the coffee. Jones left him at the window and hurried across the dining room. He pushed open the swinging white door into the kitchen. Gallagher's attitude bothered him as he removed two mugs from the cupboard and poured the steaming coffee. He set the carafe back on the hot plate, and as he turned toward the refrigerator, his cell phone sounded. Fumbling, he scooped it from his pocket. Jones. Bias, this is Clayton Morris. Clayton, good. What's this about a Professor McIntyre holding up Dr. Povich's autopsy? Yes, that is true. Why? She said she didn't want him cut up. Oh? Oh, there's a bigger problem here. I just got off the phone with Lane about the lab results. Herbert Lane. Jones leaned against the refrigerator. He pictured Lane's huge frame and fluffy toupee. Why is our illustrious district attorney involved? What happened? Povich had lettuce, potatoes, pork, milk, and toxicology reports states Dr. Povich had labetalol hydrochloride in his stomach. It's a drug used in the treatment of hypertension but it can induce a heart attack in a person with heart disease. I've spoken with Dr. Pierre Holland, Povich's cardiologist in Boston. Holland never prescribed the drug. I think Povich was poisoned and his heart gave out. Jones slowly turned toward the single white door separating Gallagher's dining room from the kitchen. For a second, he thought of his dad, nodding his head slowly. He fought the obvious fact that Dr. Povich ate dinner at the table behind that door. The two men's long-standing hatred in the argument between them last Tuesday evening was well documented. I don't understand, Clayton, how the drug would be in his body. Neither does the district attorney's office. You were with Povich when he died, as well as a Professor Dempsey, Duff Davis, a student, and that nut security guy. Bucky Driscoll, said Jones, wincing. I'm sure George Strickland will be calling you. The word I have is Povich had dinner with Jim Gallagher at St. Bart's makes perfect sense that Povich would suffer a heart attack. Dinner was at 6.30. He died at 8.12 after feeling dizzy and having shortness of breath. Exactly what a person having a heart attack would experience. Somebody got to him. Jones's stomach swirled with emotion and he pinched the bridge of his nose. Father Gallagher has a lot of explaining to do, but it's in the hands of the police right now. Clayton, let me ask you something. If this autopsy was stopped, would Dr. Povich's death have looked like a real heart attack? You mean if we hadn't sent the fluid to the lab? Yeah. Down on the surface, it does look like a heart attack. Yes. I know where you're headed, Matthias. I'm sure Professor McIntyre's reluctance about the autopsy was genuine. Jones pursed his lips. In a short time, either the Prince William Police or George Strickland would arrive at Gallagher's front door. I appreciate you calling me, Clayton. Thank you. Anytime. He set down the phone. Gallagher's hatred of Povich was bizarre, but atypical. Gallagher, although he had a quick temper, never let things fester. Any confrontation was usually smoothed over within a few minutes, but the Povich feud had gone on for years. Jones opened the refrigerator and poured the milk into the coffee cups. 
Gallagher, losing his temper, and at the most extreme, committing an act of passion, put him within the realm of suspects, but constructing a premeditated scenario was difficult. He scooped out the sugar from the canister and let it sift into his cup. Gallagher took his coffee unsweetened. Jones held both hot coffee cups and moved into the dining room. He stopped next to the cherry wood table and scanned each of the high-backed upholstered chairs. Povich had sat at this table only three days ago. Jones shook his head. Gallagher would not poison Povich. It was that simple. I have the coffee, Jim. Gallagher stood between the opening between the dining room and the parlor. Well, it's about time I sobered up. What do you think? Jones half grinned and moved forward with the two coffee cups. Did I hear your cell phone? Jones approached the doorway and entered the parlor. He handed the unsweetened coffee to Gallagher. Jim, I think we better talk. Gallagher's face was frozen like Jones' players on the bench when time was running out and they were about to lose the game. Jones held his own coffee in his hands, but he did not drink it. His eyes locked with Gallagher's blue eyes. That was Clayton Morris on the phone. Gallagher lifted the cup to his lips and squinted. He spoke in a clear, concise tone. What did he say? Jones set the cup on the end table and spoke through gritted teeth. Damn it, father, what's going on here? Gallagher had the face of an experienced poker player. His brow gradually creased, but he did not panic. I don't know, but I'm beginning to think it has something to do with me, doesn't it? You bet it does. Dr. Povich's stomach was filled with labellol hydrochloride, a hypertensive drug, potentially fatal to people with heart disease. Gallagher raised his brows and savored the coffee as if it were a fine wine. And you have the personal connection to the coroner. Povich's last meal was right here in the rectory. Well, well, well. Excuse my arrogance, Jim, but this is rather incriminating. He wasn't prescribed that drug. Who prepared this meal? Gallagher thought and gripped the cup. He raised it to his lips again. I prepared the meal. What about your cook? I cooked the meal. He drank the coffee and ran his knuckles along his upper lip. And you're sure he just didn't have a heart attack? Jones marveled at his matter-of-fact attitude. I think you better go over this before the police get here. Sure. Gallagher smiled and returned to the recliner, crossed his legs and watched the game without the sound. Jones threw his hands into the air and started pacing. I can't believe how calm you are. Well, I'm just trying to sort this out. Sort it out? The guy was poisoned. He ate at your table, had another argument, he leaves for the observatory, and then he collapses by the telescope. Jones exhaled and raised his hand to his forehead as he paced again. Okay, let's start from the beginning. When did you first invite Povich to dinner? Two weeks ago. Why? Gallagher raised his voice. I thought all this animosity was something I could not allow in my life. Then you wanted to smooth things over, is what you're saying. Exactly. Gallagher puffed his cheeks and exhaled. Then he drank some more coffee. He was remarkably composed. I placed a call to his office and he called me back that evening. Jones grabbed the pad and pen next to the phone. That was when? Two weeks ago, Friday. Jones moved closer and hovered over the recliner. He studied Gallagher's straight-nosed profile as he watched the game. What bothered Jones was Gallagher's lackadaisical attitude about Povich's death. It was almost as if he had welcomed the doctor's demise. Jim, please don't be so calm. 
What do you want me to do? Start pounding the walls? Well, yeah! The cops are going to be all over this place real soon. Gallagher nodded and leaned back in the recliner. I suppose you're right. So he personally said he would accept the invitation. Well, he hesitated. He really thought about it. I think he didn't like having our feud continue either. He said it was time we talked. I told him I would personally prepare dinner. I thought that was a noble gesture. Well, Strickland is going to ask why your housekeeper didn't make the meal. Purely altruistic, I assure you. I wanted to make the man's meal. You know I like to cook. Jones wrote his answer on the pad but quickly looked up. Who else was around here? No one. I sent my housekeeper home around two. Right after the soap opera. She'll verify that. Then I began preparation of the meal. A very simple meal. I put on a pork roast with potatoes. You heat the oven to 350 and... But she went home. Jones sat on the edge of the chair and rubbed his eyes. Great. Nobody else here. Only Father Gallagher preparing the meal personally. The guy had the drug in his stomach and everyone knew about his heart problems. The drug directly impacted people with heart problems. He was poisoned, Father. Well, I didn't poison him. Jones rolled his eyes and began pacing once more. Well, somebody put labetalol hydrochloride into Povich's food. Gallagher aimed the remote and turned up the sound on the TV. What are you doing? I'm watching the game. He moved his hands around the end table. Where's my watch? What time is it? It's 9.15. You need to come up with a story. Celtics are rebuilding this year, not like the old days. Then he looked up at Jones and smiled. Matthias, I'm glad you came over. I feel better. Feel better? asked Jones, staggering back to the other arm of the chair. How can you feel better? I know the argument didn't precipitate his heart attack. Well, yeah, but the guy was poisoned. And with the food that you prepared, Jim, how could he have been poisoned? Gallagher pointed at the set. Good shot, good shot. He leaned back in the chair. You know, I've been thinking about that. How can they say that the drug for sure was in that food? I didn't get sick. They can't prove I did anything. Jones's head snapped to the right. It was almost as if Gallagher were gloating over the cleverness of Povich's death. You haven't got a heart condition. That wouldn't affect you. This is all very clever. Jones stroked his chin. There had to be somebody else in here. Possible. They're up by two. Come on, Matthias. You like the Celtics. Yeah, I like the Celtics, but how can you be so calm? I have nothing to fear. Jones walked to the window and stared out the street lamps, lighting the plowed drifts. He glanced at Gallagher for a moment and wondered if his friend really did do it. Having nothing to fear was a great distance from overwhelming guilt. Maybe Gallagher had some foolproof way of getting the drug into Povich's bloodstream. Yet Povich left the rectory in a huff sometime after 6.30, long enough for the drug to be in his system. Unless Povich had popped the pill himself, the poison had to be in the food. Under the pretense of an argument between two enemies, a heart attack would be the logical conclusion. Jones caught Gallagher's eye. Listen, Jim, do you think I would kill Povich? Come on. I was livid at the man and I didn't like him. Give me more credit, will you? Jones scanned the snowbanks under the streetlights. I'll give whomever killed this man a lot of credit. How did the drug get in his body? Gallagher shut off the game. 
He pulled the side lever, raising his feet on the recliner. The only time someone could have gotten in here is when I went to the supermarket to get the lettuce. Supermarket? Jones looked away from the snowdrifts. When was that? After four. I was back here by 4.30. The roast was in the oven. I drove over to Rizzo's. Well, why wait to the last minute to get the lettuce? Gallagher lifted his index finger. Ovich's secretary called and apologized for not calling earlier. She said the doctor requested the lettuce because of his diet. Well, I didn't want to upset the apple cart. After all, I'm trying to make peace with the guy. Rizzo's is five minutes down the road. I simply drove down and got some lettuce. Jones scanned the room. The red motion detector lights flashed within a white box located in the corner between the gold wallpaper border and the white plastered ceiling. Did you put the alarm on when you left for Rizzo's? I... I don't recall. Gallagher stroked his chin. I doubt it. I was so concerned about getting back and getting everything ready. The roast with the potatoes was in the oven. I hadn't even started the beans. And if I recall, I hadn't mixed my cinnamon applesauce. I don't know if I set the alarm. Well, pardon the pun, but that leaves the door wide open, Father. Someone could have come in here and put the drug into the food. Gallagher's face grew serious again. I don't think I set the alarm. My God, someone could have walked right in here. But you're not sure? No. He looked at his old friend with an unusual and uncomfortable scrutiny as he spoke in a lower voice. The alarm company will have a record. Well, I suppose they will. Jim, I don't care how innocent you are. He walked up to his friend and leaned on the recliner arm. Gallagher folded his hands and stared at the wall. This thing does not look good for you. Herbert Lane will have a field day. He loves the gory facts. And the plain fact is, Povich ate food from your table laced with a drug designed to kill him. No, Matthias, doesn't look good at all. Father Jim Gallagher from the neighboring city of Prince William, New Hampshire, is a staple character in the Jones series. He is Jones's priest at St. Bart's in Prince William. Coco Stefani and Jones are close friends because of the death of Coco's brother Anthony in New York City. I've also provided background on how Jones got the Hamilton job, taken from the first book, Rest in Peace, Bill Jones, where he and Coco investigated the death of Jones's father. And I'll talk more about Hamilton Fletcher as he comes up in the book. We continue to get a full dose of Bucky Driscoll, the wannabe cop. And two of Prince William's finest, Lieutenant Phillips and Chief Pacheco, are also staple characters on the scene, as is George Strickland, the Chief of Police in Hamilton. There's a little airport north of Hamilton, and I'll be getting on that plane very soon here. Next week, more Bucky, and I apologize in advance as we go into episode two of The Strange Death of Dr. Povich by Robert P. Fitton. Fly me away. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.